You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off this week. We begin tonight with even more concerns about the safety of tent encampments on Vancouver's downtown east side after a frightening fire on Sunday night. As the Matagahi reports, if not for the fact firefighters were close, the results could have been catastrophic. Flames jumped from tent to tent, then to building in the downtown east side Sunday night. Is anybody in there? Had a fire hall not been so close and had firefighters not been able to act so quickly, the damage could have been catastrophic. We removed several propane tanks, even one that's a 100-pound tank that experienced heavy uh, fire damage to the tank. This only seven days after a woman's body was found inside the remains of another tent fire in the same area. I'm extremely frustrated. This is exactly the situation Vancouver's fire chief warned the city about when she issued an urgent order for tents set up on the sidewalks of East Hastings Street to be immediately removed and those seeking shelter in them to be relocated and housed. Nobody wants people sheltering outdoors, but sheltering outdoors in this location is not the right place for them to shelter outdoors. Too many lives are at risk here. So we need to continue to remove stuff and, and to remove the tents and, and, and the, city needs to con the city needs to do more at this point. The city of Vancouver says its crews are out on the street daily to try and encourage voluntary removal of structures. But the work can be dangerous and many times when one tent is removed, days later, another takes its place. We see fire right now. We saw increased violence a few weeks ago. The status quo cannot be left to without um, some affirmative action. Um, recognizing the issues in the downtown east side are incredibly complex and need every level of government. I'd be really concerned if this had happened in the middle of the night and took a bit longer to discover, or if occupants were in there. These tents were blocking the exit and entrance to the building. Adding, so long as there are tents on East Hastings Street, Everyone in their proximity is in danger, especially those living in them. Imadagahi, Global News. And Vancouver Fire Rescue Services says in the past eight months, it has responded to no fewer than 370 tent fires. That's an average of more than 45 per month. The city of Vancouver says since last August, it has removed more than 520 tents and structures from the East Hastings area, but there are still about 79 remaining. A Vancouver police officer is in hospital with serious injuries after his patrol car was hit by a vehicle driven by a teenager out for a joyride early this morning. Investigators say a 16-year-old driver, along with his two teenage passengers, had been doing donuts in a parking lot near the intersection of Kingsway and Tyne. Police say when they pulled out of the lot, they crashed into the officer's car, their vehicle catching fire. The three teens were not hurt, but the VPD officers both suffered injuries and one of them had to be hospitalized. The driver was arrested at the scene and is facing recommended charges of dangerous driving and driving without a license. Here we had a couple of officers early in the morning, almost towards the end of their shift. They're going to respond to somebody in need. They're responding to a 911 call for somebody who needed help. 
This reckless behavior prevented them from getting to that call. It caused serious injury to one of the officers and is likely going to require both the officers to be off work uh, for some time while they recover from these injuries. Again, totally unnecessary, didn't need to happen, and uh, it just incredibly reckless behavior. The VPD says the vehicle belongs to one of the teen's parents. Homicide investigators are renewing an appeal for tips and a disappearance 15 years ago. 25-year-old Ke um, Kellen McElwee disappeared March 19, 2008. He was last seen leaving a keg restaurant in Langley. His Honda Civic was found six days later in Burnaby. Police released photos of a person of interest in McElwee's disappearance wearing a distinctive Christian Odigier-style puffy jacket with fur lining on the hood. Some parents could soon be forced to pay the full unsubsidized price for childcare. The province is still working its way through the backlog of fee reduction contracts, meaning it might fall on parents to make up the shortfall in funds until childcare facilities are approved. Richard Zussman has more on the dilemma facing daycares. It's a situation of Brian Briere's daughter's childcare about to boil over. I know that there's people around that it's like paycheck to paycheck and then all of a sudden you have another $600 bill and for some families that's going to mean, you know, do we pay daycare or do we not send our kid to daycare? His four-year-old daughter attends one of seven almost home childcare facilities in the Victoria area. Recently, the facility sent this letter home explaining they have not yet received a renewal to the provincial government's child care fee reduction subsidy, and parents would be on the hook for about $600 more starting April 1st. After Global started asking questions, the province granted an extension until May 1st. That's great that we got the extension, but there's still uncertainty around the future, and kind of like, why, why is this taking so long? The province reviews each application and only grants the reduction to childcare facilities, keeping rate increases below 3% per year. We know that the, the childcare fee reduction initiative is one of the most important ways that we keep fees low for families. And the, the fee cap uh, helps ensure that the uh, costs savings are passed on to parents. The problem is childcare providers can't keep those increases below 3%. For example, here at Almost Home, costs went up more than 17% in the last year alone. The staffing crisis has hit us really hard, especially the last couple years after COVID. We've seen a lot of um, employees just decide this isn't the field for them. It's also increased the demand rate. That demand rate is driven by a limited supply of childcare workers and high demand. With such a limited work pool, providers are asking the province to consider permanent changes to the cap. The ministry needs to look at this as our contracts are being looked at immediately. And stuck in the middle of this mess, parents just trying to get by. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. The Ministry of Education and Childcare says as of December last year, there are more than 103,000 childcare spaces at licensed facilities across the province. A Surrey doctor now faces two charges of sexual assault after alleged incidents at his pain clinic in Surrey and Delta. Dr. Alumayiwa Bambade has been running Salem Anesthesia Pain Clinic in Surrey since 2021, practiced in Delta before that. 
This week, he was charged with one count of sexual assault related to an incident at his clinic in Delta in 2019. The new charge is in addition to one laid last year in Surrey. The BC College of Physicians and Surgeons currently lists him as practicing with the condition of not seeing female patients. None of these allegations has been proven in court. Bus service across the Fraser Valley came to a grinding halt today. More than 200 members of QP Local 561 walked off the job, trading their routes for picket lines. Travis Prasad now with why this might be the beginning of a long dispute. Roy Lee takes the final steps of a 40-minute walk from home to class at the University of the Fraser Because the buses are kind of gone right now. And it's unfortunate, but kind of annoying at the same time. <laughs> Roughly 200 unionized workers are on strike, picketing outside of the B.C. Transit offices in Abbotsford. The three main issues are wages, no pension and working conditions. Only essential handy dart service is still running. All other buses from Abbotsford to Hope are parked as bargaining talks break down. The employer has to be willing to sit at the table and discuss wages and pension. They can't keep skirting around it um, when we're at the table. It's time to sit down and get serious. Our, our phone's open anytime they want to sit down and talk about these things. Last week, the employer, First Transit, offered workers a 16% wage increase over five years and an additional 15 full-time operator positions. Not good enough for the union, which says Fraser Valley bus drivers are paid almost one-third less than their counterparts in Metro Vancouver. Where both sides are in agreement, neither want the government to get involved. So far, it isn't. We're not uh, at, a, at a position to intervene, and, I, and I'm the one uh, that don't believe in, in government interference and in, in free collective bargaining. And uh, both parties have a long history of uh, concluding good collective agreements to bargaining. It's an electric scooter that, that can be very helpful for just commuting. Back at UFV, students are finding other cost-effective ways of getting around, like an e-scooter. Because instead of Uber, it cost me like $20 to come here. Luckily, my mom's just in between switching jobs, so she was able to drive me over today. Temporary solutions, while a service essential to them, goes nowhere. Hope the services are back as soon as possible. With no further talks scheduled, it's anyone's guess when these buses will be back on the road. Travis Prasad, Global News. All right, let's bring in Keith Baldry for more. Keith, obviously the strike is disrupting the lives of thousands mm -hmm. of people, but as we heard in that report, we aren't likely to see the province step in directly, although they do have some tools they could use. Yeah, you heard in Travis's story, Labour Minister Harry Baines repeat his off-stated assertion the government has no intention of getting involved at the negotiating table. The best deal is one that can be worked out with both sides, free collective bargaining. However, apart from just direct intervention, there are tools at Mr. Baines' disposal or the Labour Board's disposal that are outlined in the Labour Code, Section 74 through 80. They can appoint a mediator. That's the most common thing that occurs. Or a special mediator with specific terms of reference. Appoint an Industrial Inquiry Commission or appoint a fact finder to get to the bottom of, of the, what the true facts are or even order a vote on the employer's last offer. It's early days here. I don't expect much to come from either Minister Baines or the Labour Board here. They have to let both sides work this out for a, a limited period of time before we see such things as the mediator. Probably the most um, obvious and, and common used uh, ability here from the minister to get involved. But don't look for direct intervention here. Harry Baines has been consistent. He's been Labour Minister for more than five years. His position has not changed. The best deal is one reached by the two parties, no matter how much public in inconvenience there can be. It sounds like the two sides would like it uh, to um, resolve that way as well. So we'll mm -hmm. see what happens. Thanks, Keith.
Well, buying a new vehicle can be stressful at the best of times, but for some, the current supply crunch is adding extra anxiety and cost. The unexpected fees raising prices by thousands and why the situation is particularly bad in this province. Next on the News Hour. Clearing the backlog, the Canadian-U.S. clash that led to a massive logjam in Nexus applications and the compromise that has been reached to get things moving. Plus, studio designer and technical whiz John Vertasic, his connection to Vancouver's recording industry and his legendary clientele. Those stories still to come tonight on the News Hour. Right now, though, if you are shopping for a new vehicle, you might be in for some serious sticker shock. Some dealerships are slapping on unexpected add-on fees higher than the manufacturer's suggested retail price. With more on this seemingly growing trend and advice on how to avoid disappointment, let's bring in Consumer Matters reporter Andrea. And thanks, Sophie. Some auto industry experts say the current market condition for purchasing a new vehicle is based on a supply and demand problem. The supply of many new vehicles is still very low, and in many cases, that's putting the dealership, not the consumer, in the driver's seat. This is where the the car is supposed to be. For close to 15 months, Richard Lim has been waiting for an electric vehicle. In April of 2021, a $2,000 deposit was placed for a Kia EV6. At the time of the order, Richard says the dealership told him the price of the car wasn't available. They said pricing will be released at some point. Richard says in early spring of 2022, the price was released on the Kia Canada website. He says he didn't hear from the dealership until this March of 2023, informing him his vehicle was ready for delivery. But Richard says when he asked the dealer about the final price, he was shocked. It's certainly more than what they've posted on their website. The Vancouver resident says he was told on top of the manufacturer's retail price, or MSRP, he would be slapped with an extra $4,000 dealer markup fee and a $4,000 market adjustment fee. After taxes, that's another $9,000 to the price of the vehicle. It's a situation that's becoming all too common. Car Help Canada, a nonprofit that helps consumers with car buying advice, says part of the reason why consumers are seeing markup fees is because of very low vehicle inventory and is particularly bad in BC. When you have fewer dealerships compared to, say, a city like Toronto, those dealerships are often free to charge more because consumers just have fewer options in terms of where they can go, where they can shop around. According to the Vehicle Sales Authority of BC, the province's regulator, there is no law compelling a motor dealer to sell a vehicle at the manufacturer's suggested retail price. And there is no law in BC prohibiting dealers applying add-ons to the MSRP. It's their discretion. In Richard's case, no pricing was available when the vehicle was ordered, so no laws were broken. Still, consumers would be wise to shop around. You can find dealerships that don't charge markups or expensive add-ons. It's possible. It's very difficult in this market. Consumer Matters reached out to Kia Canada on Richard's behalf, and we were told as a distributor of automobiles, Kia Canada does not have control over customer transactions as dealers are independently owned and operated and fully responsible for all sales with customers. Richard says in the end, the dealership offered to mark up the vehicle by $5,000 as opposed to $8,000. But he says he's still deciding if he'll take the car or drive away from the offer. 
And the Vehicle Sales Authority of BC, the province's regulator, also says if dealership markup and markup adjustment fees are known to the dealer at the time an advertisement is placed for a vehicle, then those fees need to be in the advertisement as they make up part of the asking price of the vehicle. Also, if these fees are known by the dealer at the time the vehicle order is taken, the regulator says those fees must be disclosed to the consumer at that time. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right, thanks for that, Anne. Good news for bargain hunters, but troubling for the country's retail landscape. Nordstrom liquidation sales will begin tomorrow. The Ontario Superior Court of Justice has given the U.S. retailer the green light to start selling off its merchandise in Canada. Earlier this month, Nordstrom announced it will close six department stores and seven Nordstrom rack locations by late June, cutting 2,500 jobs. The CEO says he just couldn't see a realistic path to profitability in Canada. Well, I think Nordstrom just really overestimated how big the Canadian luxury market is. It gives Canada a bit of a black eye in terms of our retail sector, but retail isn't going anywhere. Retail's in good shape. It's just changing. You know, there's ebbs and flows. As for the discounts we'll see starting tomorrow, Winder says it won't be anything earth-shattering, only between 10 to 30% off. Up next, a crackdown in Punjab, raising the temperature here in B.C. The raucous protest in Surrey, forcing the cancellation of a high-profile appearance. Also ahead, Nauru's celebrations take on a somber tone. How Iranian Canadians are holding out hope for a new day in their homeland. Good evening. Crews are on scene to a single vehicle crash here in Ladner and 48th Avenue is blocked at Delta Street in both directions. BCAA member, lucky you, BCAA members save three cents per liter off fuel at Shell. Conditions apply. Visit shell.ca slash BCAA. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above a rollover crash in Ladner. Emotions are running high over the Indian government's crackdown in Punjab. People here in Canada are desperate to reach loved ones, and with an internet and information blackout in the region, they're facing an information vacuum. As Julie Nolan reports, that's led to some tense moments in Surrey this weekend. Political unrest in India over the manhunt of a leader of a separatist movement in the state of Punjab, according to their government, leading to protests in places like San Francisco and London. With an internet blackout in Punjab since Saturday, it's unclear what's really happening there. We're hearing about many families who aren't able to contact their relatives. And at the same time, uh, the Punjab government has confirmed the arrest of about 100 Sikh activists, but unofficial reports are approximately 1,500. Indian police are searching for Amrit Paul Singh, who is also a preacher and activist. Protests have erupted over the drug crisis in Punjab, along with water issues, while also questioning the rights of government. We have called on the Canadian government to contact their Indian counterparts and ask that democratic norms be restored, that the internet be restored. It's unprecedented. <laughs> Tensions are being felt even here in B.C. This unidentified man was reportedly assaulted by protesters at an event Sunday night in Surrey to welcome the High Commissioner to India. The event had to be cancelled due to security concerns. Officers were on scene and did witness the assault take place and were able to enter the crowd, intervene and help escort the victim out of the situation. 
Punjabi journalist Samir Kaushal says he was trying to cover the event when he also found himself in the middle of the chaos. They were just pushing me and uh, they were uh, threatening me and uh, they were abusing me in, in, in my mother tongue. By the time RCMP cops, they saw me and they just took me out from that crowd and they said, you have to leave the space for your own safety as we cannot give you the give you the security over here. While he is traumatized by what happened, Kashal says he's still committed to getting all sides of the debate. I know as a journalist that is called as occupation hazard. It is very shocking, especially in Canada. Meanwhile, the state of Punjab is extending its internet blackouts as the world watches for what comes next. Julie Nolan, Global News. Tens of thousands of Iranians in Metro Vancouver marked Noruz today. It hails the arrival of spring and the rebirth of nature. But as Negar Mushtahedi reports, for countless Iranians this year, there's a dark cloud hanging over the celebration. This is Hafsin Table, uh, which we put together for the start of Noruz. It's a Noruz unlike any other. We've been through so much for the past six months. It's the first Iranian New Year during the Women, Life, Freedom movement, sparked by the in-custody death of Masa Jina Amini in September that threatens to topple the regime. Most of the elements that are on the table start with S in Farsi. Golnaz Fakhari, a human rights activist, has helped organize anti-regime protests in Vancouver for more than six months. This year's Nodu celebration, she says, is somber. You want to feel good about Nowruz? You want to feel good about the start of a new year, but at the same time, you've lost so much. We've lost so many people for the past six months and then the past 44 years. According to human rights organizations like Amnesty International, tens of thousands of protesters seeking freedom have been arrested in Iran. Hundreds of demonstrators killed by the regime. Dozens executed by hanging since the uprisings began in mid-September. This is the family of Mershad Shahidi, a demonstrator killed by the regime's security forces in October for protesting, placing traditional Noruz items on his gravesite. He was just 19, and a promising young chef known as Iran's Jamie Oliver. The number of Iranian families marking the new year at their children's gravesites are countless. While Golnaz can't be in Iran, she too visited a gravesite in Canada to honor victims killed by the Islamic Republic. I did go to a local cemetery here in Vancouver because there are a lot of Iranians, there are a lot of people who've been lost in the Ukrainian flight 752. Despite the shadow on Noruz, Golnaz feels hopeful. Taking strength in the women of Iran who continue to defy the regime, like these Tehran teens shown dancing in a viral video. Noruz literally translates to new day in Farsi. Symbolically, it represents light conquering darkness. We are wishing for an extra scene, which is Sa'anagunya Jomhuri Islami. It literally means to um, down with the Islamic Republic of Iran. Negar Moshahedi, Global News. According to the latest census, there are more than 50,000 people in Metro Vancouver who were born in Iran. Of those, 43,000 are Canadian citizens, most of whom immigrated between 1991 and 2015. Just over 7,000 are in Canada on temporary work or study permits or are claiming refugee status. RCMP investigate an attack on an international student. The outrage expressed by an Okanagan MP in the House of Commons about a possible hate crime in Kelowna.
Plus, next steps for Nexus. The timeline to get the Trusted Traveler program back on track just ahead. Good evening. Counterflow is out over here at the Massey Tunnel and traffic is moving well in both directions. Do keep in mind, though, there is construction during the overnight hours south of the tunnel right to Ladner Trunk Road on Highway 99. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermac Cares for Kids. I'm Trisha Massey Tunnel. RCMP have arrested a man accused of assaulting a taxi driver and stealing his cab. The attack happened in North Vancouver Saturday just after midnight near Mountain Highway and Main Street. Police say the suspect was a passenger in the taxi who started beating the driver and then stole the vehicle. The driver was sent to hospital for treatment of minor injuries. Police tracked the taxi to the 1700 block of Lillooet Road where they arrested a 35-year-old man from North Vancouver. Kelowna RCMP are continuing to investigate whether an attack on an international student was a hate crime as outrage grows over the cowardly assault. 21-year-old Gagandeep Singh was attacked at a bus stop on Friday night. He was beaten, his turban was ripped off, and he was dragged by his hair. Kelowna Mayor Tom Dias posting online, Gagandeep, I'm so sorry this happened to you. Kelowna needs to do better to be safe, accepting and respectful for everyone. And Okanagan MP Dan Albus voiced his outrage in Ottawa. They severely beat him, but that wasn't enough for these lowlifes. They removed his turban and dragged him on the street by his hair. This was a hate crime committed by cowards who should be punished severely. Everyone here will agree that this senseless act of race-based violence is unacceptable, but we need to do more. Our investigators are out gathering up uh, any of the surveillance that they can from the businesses in the neighbourhood. Uh, we are looking for witnesses and we are uh, interviewing the people that we already know have been, who have been identified as involved, including the victim. RCMP say they are looking at the attack first as an assault and their investigation will determine if it meets the criteria for hate crime. Good news for anyone hoping to get a Nexus card. The program will ramp back up to full capacity within five weeks. The Nexus program has been stalled in Canada for nearly a year, partly over a dispute whether U.S. border agents can carry guns in Canada. The clash led to a backlog of more than a quarter million Nexus applications. A compromise means interviews for Nexus applicants will restart in phases beginning March 27th, with full operations restored at eight Canadian airports by April 24th. Nestle Good Start Infant Formula has been recalled due to a microbial contamination. The nationally sold baby formula was recalled due to possible Chronobacter sakazakii contamination. In rare cases, the bacteria can cause serious or fatal infections to the bloodstream or nervous system and has been linked to severe intestinal infections and sepsis in infants. Consumers are advised to call a doctor if their child has become sick after consuming the product and are asked to dispose of the formula or return it to the location where it was purchased. Six days of competition, culture and camaraderie. People train all year for this and look forward to this specific tournament. 1,200 young athletes representing more than 100 First Nations play in the largest youth tournament of its kind. And later, the legacy of John Vertasek and his importance to Vancouver's recording industry.
Global BC is proud to partner with the Carl Hockey World Cup, March 19th to 26th in Richmond. Over 100 teams from more than 10 countries take the ice for the return of this week-long event. The 2023 Carl Hockey World Cup, in partnership with Global BC. Burnaby City Council has backed away from a controversial proposal to build an organic waste facility after major public backlash. As Krista Dow reports, it was the location that had people up in arms. Plenty of jubilation at Monday's special council meeting. So awesome. Burnaby residents celebrating a big win. There were a lot of efforts done up to this day, and I think we had a lot of support behind us, and like I said before, we weren't going to back down. The city's mayor and council now backtracking. We just uh, collectively made a mistake on this one. Admitting they made the wrong decision previously approving a $182 million organic waste facility. The controversy not over the plant itself, but its location. It was definitely a misjudgment on, on how uh, the public would react to losing some uh, parks land. The public spoke clearly that they did not want it in that location. The original plan for the facility to be built on 8.5 hectares of land within Fraser Foreshore Park. Burnaby currently ships its organic material to Delta. The plant would process 150,000 tons of organic waste per year, with a third coming from Burnaby and the rest from Metro Vancouver. If we're going to be trucking in 150,000 tons from the rest of the lower mainland, it's everybody's problem. I'm not talking about out of sight, out of mind, building it somewhere else, having another city deal with it, but just looking at different options and different alternatives. Staff will now head back to the drawing board to try and find a new location. And while Hurley still fully believes in the project, he's not convinced it has a future in Burnaby. I believe it's absolutely necessary. We can't continue to send the waste that we produce to God knows where. I'm hoping that uh, we can find a location, but I'm not confident we can. Meaning the city will have to find alternative ways of reaching its climate goals while also preserving its precious parklands. Krista Dow, Global News. All right, time to bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon now with a look at our weather forecast as we welcome spring, Christy. Wasn't very spring-like today, but everyone, we did officially transition to spring. Sophie and I wearing our spring-like colors. So just after two, we officially transitioned. We did see double digits across the province, and for the interior regions, these were slightly above seasonal. We were more near seasonal across the coast, but we're going to see a surge in temperature tomorrow and Wednesday. We'll definitely feel spring-like. Now, in some areas, spring means very dusty conditions. The snow is starting to melt on the sides of the road, so a lot of intersections in these areas, north of Kelowna particularly, uh, the Vernon region, uh, Burns Lake over towards Prince George and the BC Peace River area are very dusty right now and will likely continue to see that on and off over the next little while. That's a typical spring-like pattern for you, but there's definitely a dust advisory in place. So if you have any respiratory issues, be aware of that. A clearing trend on the way. So we do have a slight chance of showers across the south coast early tomorrow morning, but otherwise you can expect sunshine as a ridge of high pressure starts to take hold across the province. Now, for those of you in the Caribou, Central Interior region, 
regions, you'll likely see some fog, especially through the overnight and early morning hours. So a heads up on that. It's not complete sunshine for you, but at least it will be dry. So here's your forecast. For the interior, it still will be cold tonight. So clear skies at night will make it uh, the temperature drop significantly, but reaching double digits in the afternoon. Not as cool overnight for the south coast because we have still cloud cover in the forecast for tonight, but will rebound nicely. So for Metro Vancouver, a range from 12 to 16 degrees at 16 for areas away from the water, and we are going to likely see up to 17 degrees on Wednesday. We had some of the warmest temperatures uh, so far this year um, on Saturday. We could be rivaling that on uh, Wednesday, so hopefully that's the case. Much cooler, though, on Thursday with showers or rainfall pushing in. Dar Richards sending us this from Slocan Lake, and yes, the ice melt is happening, and this is a, a look of the at the lake just yesterday in the Kootenai region. Sophie, back to you. Lovely. Thank you, Christy. Gyms across Nanaimo are alive this week with the sound of basketball. Local First Nation hosting BC's largest all-native tournament, drawing teams from across the province, forging links and building leadership skills among Indigenous youth. Kylie Stanton has more. The ball is dribbled and passed. Shots are missed and made. The skills these teams have been honing all year long are finally being put to the test. And we're really excited and I hope we win. 91 teams, 1,200 athletes and more than 200 coaches are gathering in Snenemach territory this week for the annual Junior All-Native Tournament, the largest youth sporting event of its kind in the province. It's been going on for, for decades now, and it's, you know, the, the love of the sport, the eagerness to be champions, to play, to compete. While there's no available record to identify when or where the first ever gent was played, the impact it's had on its participants is clear. If it wasn't for basketball, I don't think I'd be here today. Um, it's just like overwhelming to come full circle to playing to now volunteering and just seeing all the youth and their, their smiles on their face. Now, just like their values and culture, the love of the game is being passed down from one generation. It's really emotional. To the next. I'm really excited. Many of those who once played here are now either coaching. It's heartfelt getting caught up in the moments. Or cheering from the sidelines. With basketball being big in our communities, it's a really good uh, outlet for them, right? But it's the lessons they take with them off the court that are proving to be most powerful. Being able to, um, you know, send that message loud and clear to our kids that you're important. We do this for you. You know, I think a piece of it is saving our youth. To see that on full display here in Stanema. Every point scored is a point of pride. It's everything. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Nanaimo. All right, more sports now. Let's bring in Squire Barnes. Yes, what we'll do talk. You have? Well, we'll talk a bit about the Canucks here. One player who um, keeps playing great every year, even when things aren't going great around him, is Quinn Hughes. I haven't really seen a bad game out of him. You know, he's very consistent. Yeah, like Travis Green and Bruce Boudreaux found out. Rick Tockett says Hughes is one of the best offensive defensemen in the world right now. Also tonight. 
the man behind the music, the genius of John Vertasic, and why his work is world-renowned. Okay, the man himself is here. Uh, yes, I am. Blue, blue. I know, I just noticed Light blue, that. dark blue. Wow. I know. We got the memo. Okay. Tomorrow night, the uh, two hottest teams in the NHL will play each other at Rogers Arena. That's right. That's right. The Canucks are one of the hottest teams in the NHL. The other is Vegas. They are both 8-2 and two in their last 10 games. The difference, of course, between these two is the Golden Knights are going to the playoffs and the Canucks are just piling up wins right now with no chance of making the playoffs. But what is the reason Vancouver is winning so much? Well, they do have an easier schedule than they did earlier in the year. They don't have any pressure to win, and they do want to impress their new head coach. That all adds up. But they also have been playing better defense. They've been getting much better goaltending. In fact, Vancouver is the second-best goals against average this month in the entire NHL. And there's Players like Miller and Kuzmenko and Pedersen and Quinn Hughes playing great. And Quinn Hughes just became the third defenseman in the last 30 years with back-to-back -back assist seasons, 60 assist seasons to be precise. Joining Paul Coffey and Ray Bork, which is elite company for sure. Canucks have the puck over the goalie at the bench. Here's Hughes dropping back. Miller shoots. He scores. If there is one thing that has been consistent in an era of Canucks inconsistency, is the playmaking abilities of Quinn Hughes. Since the day he arrived in 2019, playing for three very different coaches in Travis Green, Bruce Boudreau, and now Rick Tockett, all Quinn Hughes has done is set up goals at an elite level. For, for me, obviously, the, uh, the, the assists and what he's doing, I, I think he's just been a, you know, a terrific leader. I've been here, what, six, seven weeks, and I, I thought he's been probably one of our best when it comes to vocal and, and just, you know, I, I haven't really seen a bad game out of him. You know, he's very consistent. You know, the, obviously the assists are great and his, his uh, breakouts are incredible. That's why the Coffees of the world and Nita Myers and Bork, they're great breakout guys. Um, and he's in that, he's starting to, he's, you know, he's climbing that ladder. Mm. Uh, his number shows it, but uh, he has made plays all over the ice. Uh, and then, I mean, this year he's been taking more of a, um, I don't want to say leadership role, but just like being more, uh, he's just been playing a lot better. Lanceville's Dylan Ferguson. Good BC boy making his first NHL start for Ottawa against the Pittsburgh Penguins, and he made 47 saves in this game. He actually played nine minutes a few years ago in relief for Vegas, but he's the man tonight, and he helped Ottawa win 2-1. to one. Drake Batherson got the winning goal with just under three minutes left in the game. Good for you. Dylan Ferguson. Well, I thought we should check this out, shouldn't we? Uh, Connor Bedard had his 70th goal of the season yesterday. He has two games left in the regular season, and of course he will be the first pick overall in this year's draft. Right now, Columbus has the best chance of winning the Bedard Derby, 25.5% chance. The Canucks right now, even though they've been winning a lot lately, still have a 6% chance of getting the hometown boy. Okay, Vancouver Whitecaps striker Sergio Cordova is being examined by team doctors to see what happened to him Saturday night down in Los Angeles when he left the game against the Galaxy hobbling. Now, he was supposed to play for his 
home country, Venezuela, in an international game this week, but he's not going to do that now, and he also won't be able to play for Vancouver in their game against Minnesota on the road Saturday either. All right, Women's World Curling Championships going on in Sweden, Canada. Beat Italy 7-2 this morning and scored four in the first end against Scotland in the late session. Mistakes by Rebecca Morrison allowed Canada to steal singles in the seventh and the eighth to go up 9-5. And Canada would hold on for a 9-8 win to improve its record to 4-1. And, and just like Gary Bettman, a lot of fans might not like NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell, but the owners in the NFL sure like him, and that's all he needs to survive in his job, just like Bettman survives because the NHL owners love him. There is word that Roger Goodell is going to get a multi-year extension on his contract to keep running the NFL. He actually has been the commissioner since 2006, and since that time, with this latest extension, he has now had his contract extended four times. There you go. All right, thank you, Squire. Okay. Squire's doing double duty tonight. Up next, his story about the man behind the music of some of the world's biggest bands. Stay with us. From the stories that touch us all to the events happening all around us, when BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. Connect. Jordan Armstrong here now with a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jordan? Sophie, the Easter Bunny will not be paying a visit to Stanley Park this year, and that's because the Stanley Park Easter train will not run. The popular attraction is still down, has been since September, due to the park board's failure to maintain it in a safe operating condition. It did not pass provincial inspection last fall. The park board says getting the train running again is a priority. At 11, we'll tell you when they hope to have it back in service. Sophie? The ongoing saga. Keeps on giving. It sure does. All right, thanks, Jordan. All right, Squire, who is John, who was John Vertasek? Well, um, we've done a few stories over the years on the history of Little Mountain Sound Recording Studio. So many great songs and records were made there, especially in the 80s and early 90s. A lot of great producers and engineers, but everybody I've talked to over the years about this subject always mentions the name John Vertasek. He was the genius of that studio. Even though some of the biggest artists in the world came to this recording studio on West 7th in Vancouver, which used to be called Little Mountain Sound, when you walk through the front door of that same studio today, which is now called Hipposonic, you will see a tribute not to the bands that played there, but to the man who was Little Mountain's technical director for 16 years, the late John Vertasek. He was a very close friend of mine. And he taught me so much, and he was the perfect guy for all of us. He made, really made the difference. He was so focused in on rock and roll. He just knew every part of it. He knew every technical requirement. And, and then when these guys, Bob Rock and Bruce Fairburn, dreamed something up that they wanted to do, he made it happen. Can you hear me? <laughs> Everyone heard about John Vertasek. His genius at building and maintaining recording studios was and is 
legendary. Anybody in the recording industry knew about John, and if John had touched any of your gear or given you any advice, that was like a gold standard for certification that you were fine. John Vertasek's reputation of greatness was tied in with Little Mountain Sound because it was he who pushed the studio to become a world-class facility. It was impressive. It was impressive. The dedication to put the money into building what became this unique recording mecca. And what was also impressive? All the equipment worked all the time. When producers and engineers, not only Bruce Fairburn and Bob Rock, who got to work at other studios, or bands came to Vancouver to work, your studio is always working. You don't have any breakdowns. And this is something that John was famous for. John Vertasek built many studios from scratch, but he built more than that. He built friendships that resonate like his studios over a decade after his death. There's still a group of, of people in the industry who are getting together annually to, to kind of celebrate him and remember him and his impact in the space. He was always just walking around thinking. And he always had little projects in his mind that he was trying to invent. But he was a sweetheart of a guy. Now, we will soon have a documentary about Little Mountain Sound recording studio. And, of course, John Vertasek played a huge role in its success. I've been working hard on that, Doc, for... A number of years. A long time. I yeah. can't wait to see yeah. it. All right, Squire, thank you for that. Christy, final word on the weather to you. Well, I have to admit, I can't wait to see the sunshine. So tomorrow, it will be the first full day of spring, and it will feel like it. We will see some cloud cover in the morning and a slight chance of showers, but that will clear quite quickly. So enjoy. Happy first day of spring, everyone, and happy no That explains my allergies. And me too. <laughs> Some tissue. All right, have a good night, all.